welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about our favorite Star Wars books that Mama Disney says not allowed to be favorites. I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. And Kevin is away on special Rebel Assignment. This week, we're going to kick off talking about Bloodlines, the second book of Legacy of the Force. But first, bum bum bum. Previously on Forever Canon, we finished the first book and we talked about it. Yay! Good times. <laughs> we also talked about this book. Yay! <laughs> Going case, to be excellent times. And in case you didn't catch it, Boba Fett, which leads us right into the prologue of Bloodlines, starts on a planet called Atzeri. Ten years after the Yuzhan Vong War, a.k.a. five years previous to our regular timeline. This is five years earlier than Centerpoint being destroyed. Well, disabled. Great start. Okay. Right away, what do we get? Boba Fett time. Karen Travis is not messing around. Not messing around <laughs> at all. She knows what the people want, and she hammers it right out there, right away in the first like four pages. Oh, it's all Boba Fett. She does waste no time. Do you think that's a good thing, or do you think that's a bad thing? It's Boba Fett. I think it's an undeniably good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Stamped. It always. Finished. Next. <laughs> I. It's it's undeniable. Yeah. No. You can't go. You can't go wrong with Boba Fett. He's he's tracked down some drug dealer. The contract says take him alive. I can't. Whoever whoever's sent out this contract is clearly flexing muscle by hiring Boba Fett. He's still infamous. He's still very known to be deadly. This is what we're being told in the prologue. But he's got a secret pain in his stomach he doesn't tell anyone about. He gets paid for his bounty, and the guy straight up asks him to his face. Obviously, this is for us, the reader. The guy looks him right in the face, and he says, why do you still do this? This is information meant for us, the reader. Yeah. And he says, because... People still ask me, what a badass. Yeah. <laughs> what a oh, badass. And really, from the time that he was born, dad was a bounty hunter. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's what he knows. It's the family business, quite literally. Yeah. And you know what? I like this. He's talking a lot more than you may have seen in the movies. Imagine yes. that. He's got a lot of in-depth dialogue in the novel instead of what you get in the movie, which is, I don't know, what does he say? Three words? Yeah. I don't know. I actually can't think of any of his lines off the top of my head, which is maybe bad news for uh, the one doing, Vader points out. It's just no disintegrations, and he he says a couple words there, but other than that. is that what he says? Aww. I thought there'd be disintegrations up there. Anyways, that yeah. was uh, Louis Anderson hosting Family Feud. Moving along, moving right along. <laughs> he thinks about the question on his way back to Camino. Boba Fett headed back to Camino five years ago. Camino. The clone planet. Homeboy Fett moved back to his childhood home? Or is it just a good meetup spot? I don't know. Yeah. Don't let us know. Well, he's meeting up with his doctor. Because he's ill. I think I'm dying, he says at the the end of the prologue. No! That's a... That's my best bad Vader impression. Oh, but, that's terrible. Don't even. But like, that's not what I want to hear. 
She gives no. us she gives us all the Boba Fett you want, right? Ah, pow, right in the mouth, right yeah. away. But then she says, by the way, he's dying. He's dying. Sorry. Wait a minute. You might have already thought he was dead. Don't be fooled. The man did not die inside of the Beetlejuice worm monster. He survived. Yeah. But he says, if I'm dying, I've got three things to do. Well, that's pretty nice. Narrows it down to a simple list. This guy is practical, if nothing else. Number one, easy. Find my estranged daughter who I haven't seen in 50 years. Easy. Number two, choose a new leader for my planet, people, and culture. Simple. Yeah, no big deal. Ready to check it off at a moment's notice. A third thing, cheat death. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Boba Fett says, pretty practice at that, at yeah. least. No pressure, right? Yeah, no, not at all. No pressure list at all. I don't know. What did you think about this little prologue? We didn't get a prologue in the first book. No, and I I like the, the prologue. I like that it's like, hey, here's Boba Fett. Yeah, and like, I mean, he's on the cover, right? Yeah. So, like, we're not being coy here. We're not. Yeah, Tim just did a, a 720 McFlip. McTwister yeah. 1080 I, I snowboarding. I ended it nicely. Yeah. I, holding on to you my did. book like I was you displaying pulled, it. You pulled it off. You pulled through. But they're not fooling around. They're not hiding him. And they're not trying to pretend that he's just going to be a small piece. Or at least they're telling us, they're letting us know that, hey, this isn't just like a, a little selling point. We're going we're gonna to hand feed you some Boba Fett right now. Yeah. I like that. Now we get chapter one. And we get another new ingredient sprinkled in here by Karen Travis. She gives us little inserts, excerpts. Yeah, like... At the beginning of the chapter, which I will take the time to read each chapter. And here we go. How long are we going to have to bounce from one crisis to the next? We're facing our third galactic war in under 40 years. A real civil war. It's just skirmishing now, but if Omas doesn't crack down much harder on dissent, this will spiral out of control. We need a period of stability, and I fear we're going to have to knock heads together much harder to get it. Admiral Cha Nithal. Speaking to her own Mon Calamari Senate delegates. So what do you think about this? We're getting like an extra little peek behind the curtain. This is stuff that you're not... These aren't events that pop into the narrative. Yeah. This is like literally like look behind the curtain and see what's happening in the background that you don't normally get to hear about, which what we're going to see moving forward is like it's you you're looking into key characters emotions. Yeah. That they're not revealing to other people. For instance, here, Admiral Nithal seems pretty frustrated with Omas and the rest of the whatever the GA Security Council. She is frustrated outwardly with her senators, her Montalamari senators, but <laughs> yeah. not outwardly with anybody else, right? So, like, that's your, like, secret peek. That you yeah, it, it gives a little bit, because she's fairly, um, in the in these first four chapters and in the last book, she's pretty self-controlled. Buttoned up. Yeah, she doesn't let herself she's a professional be admiral. frustrated like that out, out in public. Yeah, well, that's part of the job, I guess, right? When you're... When you're a leader. Admiral of the universe's <laughs> Navy, is, Space yeah, Navy. Space Navy. Well, chapter one actually starts off in the Chief of State suite on Coruscant. Only 16 days after the disablement of Centerpoint. 
Ben in the office taking his leave from Jason by really daydreaming about how hard it is to be 13. Sometimes you get treated like an adult. Sometimes you get treated like a kid. This office is huge, he says. He's like overwhelmed, this little 13-year-old. But he spies a little magazine. <laughs> I like when he's talking about how huge it is. Yeah. He expects to see tangled balls of Missouri vine, which I'm assuming tumbleweeds, right, yeah, rolling yeah. across this huge yeah, office. Yeah. That's how big it is. Yep. <laughs> it would it'd be a good visual if you did get that. Yeah. But he sees a little magazine with center point on it. A picture of a hologram, if you will, a space hologram of center point flashing on and on on the cover. And he thinks to himself, something I... As we move forward, will be a dangerous thought for Ben, Benjamin, if you will. It's good to feel part of something important. Reflecting on, you know, the job he did at Centerpoint. Yeah, something that he did is affecting the galaxy. Yeah, as a 13-year-old. Yeah. It's good to feel part of something important. I mean, like, you want to fit in also. Even, like, on on a psychological level, you want to do things... You want to participate in things that make you fit in with people that you like. Yeah, well, like Jason. Jason. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe that's like in the background of his thinking. Probably right? one of the most prodigious Jedi in in recent memory, right? Absolutely. But that magazine would disagree as it's dragging Jason and Han through the mud. Yeah. Saying they're traitors. They're not Karelians. Jason says this must be Thraken running a smear campaign. Trying to rally support, and it's working. Ben thinks Jason is an amazing teacher, and he just wants to learn everything he can. He says he's learned a lot from him already. Such as, he and Jason can both feel inside the office an argument, firing up. Omos and whoever he's meeting with are getting feisty in there. They're waiting outside for their turn. Ben wants to be known as Jason's apprentice. Not the son of two Jedi masters slash heir to the dynasty, as he says some people have called him. Like, that's, come on, man. Who yeah. says that to a 13-year-old? That's a lot of pressure on younger? a kid. I mean, like, my goodness. Heir to the dynasty. They're not wrong. Yeah, no, they're not wrong. But I mean, your name's Skywalker. Hey, man, just so you know, you're going to be the leader of the most powerful uh, what faction, I guess. Yeah. In the universe. Yeah, definitely. And and in this opening bit, too, Karen Travis is, like, really throwing Ben in Jason's corner. Like, really making sure, like, that we are aware that he is on Jason's team. Over approval of his parents, he wants Jason's approval. That's being hammered home for a reason, yeah. obviously, right? Well, and as, as he would, being Jason being his teacher and opening him up to the force and the things that yeah. he can do that is that's something his parents couldn't even do for him which actually comes up a little bit later but that's a good point because it, it he is he's fully in jason's corner and she throws nithal in there too because it turns out she's the one who comes storming out of the office all angry and jason is here for a meeting to propose taking out carillion shipyards Nyathal wanted to do the same thing. Isn't that amazing? They want to smash the Karelians again before they can organize. 
Remember, this has only been two weeks since Centerpoint. That's it. So they haven't had time to organize. They haven't had time to uh, arrange their defenses or their offenses or their resources or what have you. And the elements in the government that want to reach out and crush them before they can. Yeah. Omas says no. Yeah, he wants to go with, try and be a little more diplomatic rather than, hey, we have the biggest stick, then we're going to beat you down with it. Yeah. I'll take that as a no. Jason seemed perfectly calm. I can tell you with the certainty of the force that failing to stamp out dissent completely now will result in the deaths of billions in the coming years. We stand on a tipping point where we can choose chaos or order. Isn't it ironic to hear those words coming out of Jason's mouth? A little too ironic. Yeah. Yeah, I really do think. Yeah. It's... Ooh. Standing on the tipping point of chaos and order. I mean, buddy, you just murdered a Jedi. Yeah. Like, not that long ago, lest we forget. Uh, Yeah, it's probably just a few days ago. Probably. Really. Probably. And the other part of it is that this whole thing sounds a lot like some early Empire type of stuff, right? Like, Yeah. Smash out the rebels before they can gather their forces enough to actually be a threat. Yeah, and that didn't work out so well for them. Well, and it's also not morally maybe the right thing to do. No, because everyone hated the Empire at the end. <laughs> that's and even, what I'm, that's and even, what... even Jason is hate hated the Empire, I'm sure, for yeah. what that they did. And that's, you know, that gets brought up a lot as we move forward. Is is the GA becoming the Empire all over again? They leave the office, and Ben says, is politics always like that? Why not just say what you mean? Oh, to be 13. <laughs> yeah. But he's not wrong. And I think that quite frequently. And... As a 31-year-old man, that is genuinely how I live my life. I say what the hell I mean. I mean what the hell I say. Yeah. I don't play games because I'm too old for this shit. No, it's having talking to someone and saying something and meaning something else. Politicking. That's literally the meaning, the definition of politicking. It's, it's exhausting. Right? And it's pathetic. <laughs> it really is. Just say what it's you mean. It's not for us, okay? No, okay, sorry. Not at all. If that's sorry. how you like to live your life, enjoy the podcast. But that is not yeah. what I'm out here. But to don't do. tell me how to live my life. Yeah. Don't okay. email us at forevercampodcast <laughs> at gmail.com and tell me what to do. We're not don't diplomatic around here. Tell me what to do. Carillion protesters are outside the Senate building. Ben thinks wars are supposed to be far away, not next door. That's kind of like the youthful perspective of, of the illusion of what war is versus the reality of it. Yeah. Although we'll talk about that more in a little while, but he's not wrong necessarily because so far there has not been a war in his home where he's lived. Yeah. There's been war throughout the galaxy. (laughs) Actually, no, that's not true. Coruscant was taken over by the Yuzhan Vong. So, I guess it is just youthful naivety. Yeah, well, when... They had to leave their home because the Yuzhan Vong took over Coruscant. And he was a baby. Well, yeah, I mean, like, like... So he doesn't remember so that. So, I guess, right? Well, I, either way, he's a naive young man. And it's it really is like a, a 
a big difference between what you think war is and what war really is. It's like kind of like us in North America where like we totally live in that illusion where war doesn't happen here. We just go do it. it they do it other places. Mm-hmm. But like it only happens. Things only happen here every once in a while. Yeah. It's, the it's rest almost of the time like it's in... like, Hey, the war was like 12 years long. I... Yeah. Really? Okay. I missed it. I bet you it was, but there weren't that many bombs going off over here. Yeah, being as young as he is, it's all wars almost an abstract thought. Like yeah. a, it it gives you a different sense of it when it's not in your freaking house. When it's not blowing up your front door. The fighting all happens far away and it's terrible. But what happens when the fighting is at your doorstep? Very different. But in the forest, Ben can feel billions of people ready to fight. Like a really bad storm coming, he says. Jason says it's our job to give them peace. Whether they like it or not. He he leaves that part out. Yeah. But oh, I bet you it was on the back of his tongue. And yes, Ben, we will do it together. I know you're worried that I'm not going to take you on all these fun missions to save the universe. But we will. You'll do it by my side. Is he saying this just like... To manipulate Ben because he knows that he needs to like test him to see if he's going to be his, an apprentice or does he genuinely want to teach the kid and want the kid to succeed? Or, and, I mean, I guess he would want him to save the galaxy. Right? Yeah. I think it's, it's probably a combination of the two. Like he wants to teach him, wants to him to live up to his full potential. Yeah. And if he's good enough or willing to, well, to follow the, him along. That's the right? severe side of Jason, right? Yeah. Where he's like, the test is severe. The testing part is severe. And I, yeah. I do believe that, yeah, like he's probably genuine. I think yeah. he's pretty genuine most of the time. Uh, when it comes until, to Ben. Until, until, well, until he wipes his memory and lies to him about what happened. But, you know. Ma- maybe that was, it. well, no, that, never mind. That's part of, you know what that is? That's part of Jason's sacrifice. Where he has to damage his relationships with the people that he loves to accomplish his goals and things like that where it doesn't have an effect right now yeah but come on eventually he'll find out it's gonna come up and there's gonna be consequences for that down the line that's gonna be a sacrifice that he made to learn more from lumaya to to accomplish his goals to move in the direction that he wants to go yeah and i mean his whole thing is sacrifice Star, the whole freaking Star Wars media is sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. Go back to the early episodes. Listen back to those. We'll cover that later as it probably when we get to the book called Sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, let's carry on with chapter one. I like here where Ben is, he's talking about, he was learning his first lesson. And a few weeks ago, he'd been a hero and helped sabotage. And now his job was to just be quiet. Listen and only speak when spoken to. Yeah. And I Jason, that was creepy. yeah. And Jason would treat him as an as an adult mm-hmm. when it was when, when it was it served appropriate. his purpose. Yeah. Oh no no yeah when it was appropriate appropriate Sorry. Sorry. yeah yeah I think yeah Ben Ben really likes the way that Jason treats him yeah and to be honest it's he treats him like my well I almost said eighteen year old cousins. Jason's not 18. I got to get that out of Yeah, No, he's not. He treats Ben like you would treat your younger cousin. Like, 
you're on the same level to a point. Yeah. And then it's very clear when that point is. Whereas with adults who are like your aunts and uncles and your parents and, and the, your parents' friends and so on and so forth, they're very inconsistent in the way that they treat you like a, like a grown-up or like a child. Yeah. You know? It doesn't matter how old you but, get but either. your cousins, your close cousins, in my experience, are very good at keeping you in check about where your relationship is. Yes. Yeah. That's just my experience. But Ben's sitting here reflecting on growing up again. He's like, <laughs> He says, Mandalorians are men at age 13. Wow, what are the odds? What are the odds that he's bringing up Mandalorians? What are the odds that they're men at 13? It's like it was written this way. <laughs> <laughs> but Ben says he's not going to be a Jedi Knight until well into his 20s. Well into his 20s before he's going to be an apprentice. For a decade. Until he's like 25. Yeah. Yeah, like his whole lifespan again before he's considered in semi-equal in the Jedi Order. I almost just did finger quotes in the air, but that doesn't help the audio podcast. No, it does not. Anyways. Helps me, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's missing out on a rite of passage where he is being asked to do things that are adult, but the organization that's asking him to do it refuses to treat him like an adult for another 12 years or so. Yeah. Pretty hypocritical. Yeah, it's a little make here, Ben, make big decisions and do big things that may cause people to lose their lives. Yeah. But no, sorry, you can't be part of this but conversation. Not, yeah, <laughs> but you will not tell any of us what to do for another decade. Yeah. At least we won't listen to you. Yeah, it's it's a weird like dichotomy that that he brings up there where yeah, man shit at 13, but also you baby, man. You freaking you baby. Yeah. You don't know shit about shit. You don't even know about war, son. You know, do I in real life? But hey, I know about this war. I've read it. Anyways, he is loving the fact that Jason is treating him more like an adult. Like more and more like an adult. But Ben is definitely distressed about not remembering what happened with Brisha and Nelani. Perhaps Nelani. (laughs) Whatever. He doesn't want to ask Jason because like you said, Soldiers know when to shut up and stop asking questions. I'll say it again. Gross. Yeah. But that is very like military psychology, right? You don't question your superiors. Which is, again, be the adult and don't ask the questions. Well, it serves its purpose, though. Like, at times, I mean, like... It really does. It does. It does. But at, when, when it's coming out of the mouth of a 13-year-old, it's hurtful. Yeah. It's painful. And I I think as far as like the military mindset goes, it when your superior is giving you an order, not asking questions makes sense. Asking questions later, yeah. Yeah. maybe. I mean, that's the thing is that uh, he's 13 years old and he's kind of misinterpreting the way he's supposed to behave. Yeah. He doesn't, like he said, he's unclear about what's expected of, of him. And so he doesn't know where those lines are, even though... Jason is like his most clearly defined relationship. Still, he's 13. He's unsure about things. Cut to Camino, 10 years after the Vong War, aka five years ago, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> More fat. Yes. He's meeting with that doctor. 
Sounds like Camino is broken down. Yeah. Uh, sounds like they're broke and sounds like their shit's falling apart. Sounds like it's bad news. The conversation with the doctor goes a little bit like this. Uh, yep, you're definitely dying, bud. And the doctor is very nervous. <laughs> Once again, Karen Travis is hammering the sent- sentiment home the first two times we see him. Hey, you guys, I know you guys love Boba Fett. I know you want more Boba Fett. He's dying, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not good for Boba Fett. The uh, doctor, in fact, gives him a whole rundown. Yeah. There are always uncertainties in prognosis, sir, but the degeneration of your tissues is accelerating. Even in your transplanted leg, you have recurring tumors, and the medication isn't controlling your liver function any longer. It might have something to do with the unusual nature of your background. Yeah. Turns out... Fett needs the old clone medical data. But Tan Wee disappeared with it. You remember Tan Wee? Tan Wee from the Clone Wars? She was in episode two. She was one of the long neck, little round head, bean bong head, little tiny, walking tall, skinny arm, skinny necking, weirdo. Yeah, looking... weird long arms, tiny little head. Big, big time. But they're still kicking around 60 <clears throat> years later, like everybody else. Well, I mean, she's missing. Turns out they lost all lot of the original cloning data. And no one has been able to do it that well again since. So Boba Fett's falling apart because he's a clone. But nobody can help him because nobody's that good of a cloner anymore. Ever since these guys lost their technology. Yep. So now he's got to find Tonwi. Because apparently she's got all the data. They also can't find cloning master Kosai. Boba Fett mentions looking for a paper trail of accounting. Isn't that familiar? Accounting. Just mm. like his best friends, Han and Leia. They had the same idea in the last book for figuring out what Corellia is doing. It's pretty cool to see these guys reflected against each other. Like, I, I'm not missing that. I see them. I yeah. see them thinking the same way. And that's pretty fun. It just bonds them, bond, ties them a little tighter. Yeah, because the how close they literally are. It's like one step. If Han hadn't met Leia, would he have been like Boba Fett? Right. Like it's they're not that far off as yeah. far as people. Maybe not bounty hunter, but dude living on the fringe, barely abiding by the law at any given moment. Yeah, like that kind of thing. Outsider, the, the outsider man. Yep. Fett. And Camino seem to have a strained relationship. They made extra clones of his dad to protect themselves from the Empire's clone army of his dad. So, I looked this up, and it seems to be a canon thing. It's in Battlefront 2. Okay. And it's called the Battle of Camino, And the... Clones from the Republic, like from the Empire, go to Kamino and fight other clones of Jango Fett. And it's a giant Jango Fett war. (laughs) (laughs) And settle down, Star Wars. But apparently, that's still canon. Yeah, that's really creepy thinking about it. You just think of a bunch of people with the exact same face killing each other. Over and over and over for hours. A whole bunch of same person dying it's 
so bizarre and really creepy, and Boba Fett doesn't like it. Turns out he's very sensitive about his dad. Yeah, you might be if you watched him get his head cut clean off his shoulders Yeah, by the purple lightsaber blade of Mace Windu, which was demanded by Samuel L. Jackson, or else he wasn't going to be in Star Wars. I don't know if you guys out there know that, but that's a little trivia for you. <laughs> he said, I'll only do it if I can have a purple lightsaber. And there he is. <laughs> yeah. There he is, cutting Django Fett's head off in front of his little five, six-year-old kid eight i don't know how the hell old he was yeah i think he says that at some point in the book but i don't remember he finishes up this negotiation for finding ton we the whole time he's flashing back and forth between what he's saying in the negotiation and like inner dialogue it's really cool like the way that she writes these these inner dialogues it gives the characters like a lot of depth that that you certainly don't get from the movies but like just I like being able to hear people's thoughts when they are making decisions, like in crucial points of the narrative. It's really cool. It's a cool tool. It's a cool tool tool. Yeah, yeah. I like. It's a really cool, cool thing, especially for someone as reserved as Boba Fett, too. Well, yeah. I mean, that's at least the perception of him from the movies. Yeah, right? is that he's like a cold-blooded killer, probably like. You assign him like that, uh, like the old, old Western badass gunslinger man with no name, saying no words type of thing. Yeah. He is the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. Like, if you want something done, seems to be. You pay the extra and you get Boba Fett and he'll get it done. He's commanding some pretty damn big prices in this negotiation. Yeah, he is. And they don't want to pay him. So he says, bye. Yep. See ya. And whatever info I get. I keep. You get nothing. That's it. He says, I'll sell it. He he says, get ready for the bidding war. You better save up. Yeah. Weird. He climbs back in the cockpit and he starts thinking about his ship. Slave one. This sucker has weapons his dad couldn't have even imagined. Thinking right back to his dad again. Always thinking about his dad. Mind you, this man is 71 years old. 71 years old. Okay. Yep. About to die. So maybe reflecting on your old dad isn't isn't so out of place in your uh, imminent death. It's weird. Especially that... when you like. I know. I when, know his. Sorry. I was just going to say like yeah. when the guy died, he literally put his armor on. He took his ship like he became his dad's life. Like, yeah. He literally put on his dad's exoskeleton and lived his life. So has he ever really had his his own identity, I guess? Well, he had a daughter and a wife once. He yeah. Th- he thinks to himself, I shouldn't have blown that. And then he also thinks, I've never been happy since I was a kid flying with my dad in this ship. Not once. Has he never have been happy since I was nine years old and my dad died. Yeah. He also thinks the Mandalore should have more to show for life than just credits. He also thinks, I missed Camino. I love 71 years old, old man Boba Fett. Okay. (laughs) I love everything that this guy's thinking about me at 40 years younger. I'm like, I feel you, bro. 
you go back to your home and you're like, wow, it's weird to be a grown up here. I'm so old now. I'm going to die any day now. Well, 31. Well, even that actually is 100% true in my life because move out of the town I grew up in when I was 13 years old. Ben Skywalker. 17 years later, here I am, 30. Move back to town. Yep. And then you're like. Loving it. Yeah. You're just like, oh, wow. The world doesn't stop moving, but here I am just. Can't can't get flying in the ship with his dad out of his head. Yeah. Karen Travis writes some freaking beautiful depth into this gunslinging, rocket launching, bounty hunting son of a bee. Yeah. He's got a flamethrower too, which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter two. We start off with this one. Has got an excerpt, an insert from Jason's private journal. Is it me? Is it me? Am I deluding myself, Jaina? Am I making the same mistake as grandfather? I have days, most days, when I'm as certain of this as I've ever been certain of anything. And then I have sleepless nights where I wonder if the path of the Sith is a lasting solution for peace in the galaxy. Or if that's my ego speaking for me. It terrifies me. But if I were motivated by ambition, then I wouldn't suffer this doubt, would I? Jaina, I can't tell you all this, not yet. You wouldn't see it. But when you do, remember that you're my sister, my heart. And that part of me will always love you, no matter what. Good night, Jaina. Delete, delete, delete. Jason's private journal. Entry deleted. Okay, Karen Travis, you are breaking my heart at every little emotional turn that you're putting in here. It's Jason behind the curtain. Yeah. Questioning his own decisions, which he does in the narrative also. He always comes out confident in the end of his own decisions, but yeah, he seems to he seems to rationalize it um it when he's in public and he shows his confident self. Yeah. Um here this is something that you really see that he is as worried as anyone would be of making the same mistakes. Well, and even further after that it's like when does he ever talk about how much he loves his sister? Yeah, that's his true. His twin sister, where he's like, you are my heart. I will for I will love you forever, no matter what I do. Yeah. Delete, delete, delete. Delete, delete. I can't oh, send that. Oh, oh my poor heart can barely take it no more. And it's the... And all that, the part of me will always love you no matter what. It's when he, when he puts in the actual good night. That part is yeah, kind of like grounding yeah so real yeah it's not like um whatever always your brother blah blah blah. yeah yeah he's actually telling his sister good night you know before he deletes it it and sends it to no one well it's like he's texting her yeah not just writing himself a message in his journal that's what it's like yeah you know talking directly to her but chapter two really starts in coronet airspace over Corellia. han solo is not happy about having to sneak home Tough to be secretly working for the side calling you a traitor. Yeah. And he's got three messages from Jason. Missed calls. Han thinks, or says, in fact, to Leia, I'm too irrational to answer him right now. And Leia says, never stopped you before. Boom. Roasted. (laughs) Yeah. Boom. Right back to that Han and Leia that we love. The two of them just sweetheartedly tearing each other apart with the truth. 
And I, the next, the very next line, Han gets a little, a little sassy right back, a little snippy. Okay, maybe I'll relax by asking Zach what his intentions are towards Jaina. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's great. But like right back, right away back into the roast of Han Solo, and it's like that's what Leia, she perpetually does this to keep his ego in check. I think. Yeah. I think she long ago figured out like. If I don't constantly tease this guy about how silly he is, he's never going to remember that he's a fool. Yeah. <laughs> and that we all are. That you know, that kind of thing. And to keep it keep it light, like keep mm. some jokes. Well, I mean, you'd have to. <laughs> yeah. In the life that they've had. Their decisions affect trillions of lives. Speaking of jokes, they actually joke real quick about how Leia once shot down Jaina's ex-boyfriend, Jag Fell. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that name, Jag Fell? I, I I like it. Full name, Jagged Fell. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I like I it. I love it. That's a good name. Not even joking about Jaina's boyfriends can pull Han out of his funk. This funk is too stunk. This conflict is too damn complicated. Fighting with his oldest friend and his own son. Oldest living friend maybe yeah. I mean, that's what those are his words okay I, that's a quote right there he says oldest friend i.e luke skywalker and his own son sorry r.i.p Chewbacca. you are no longer han solo's oldest friend yeah for any of you who saw the terrible solo movie or any of the movies you could probably piece together the han solo met chewbacca before he met luke skywalker thus making him his oldest friend but we'll skip past that because you know that's what we do with our friends once they're dead. We completely forget about them. Moving on. Han thinks the GA is becoming the old empire. Bum, bum, bum. Isn't that what we said? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. They're forcing planets into submission. The planet says, I don't want to do that. And they go, tough shit. Here comes lasers and bombs. <laughs> yeah. What? Now what? He, he Han thinks, how can Luke and Jason not see it? Han and Leia are an awesome couple. And they always keep each other standing. We've come through a lot worse than this. That's true. It's just a few more gray hairs, she grinned again. And I like you better with gray hair, actually. That was all he needed. She always put the galaxy back together for him. That's a nice line. Yeah. Karen Travis writes real, like, true love, long love, old love quite nicely i noticed throughout these chapters yeah it's nice man it's nice i wonder when we get to men old men pilots bantering at each other i wonder what her perspective of writing that will look like versus aaron alston's that we got in the first book yeah i, I haven't thought of that till just now but i wonder if that'll look any different coming from a female author yeah i just wonder well, yeah, she's got her own perspective. She's got her. I mean, and same thing with Troy Denning, too. I mean, everybody's got their own perspective in their own life and they write from a different direction. I just wonder what it'll look like. I think a lot of the time um, in this is in real life and in the books, women tend to look at most guys like they're idiots when they're talking to their friends. Well, look at Leia, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there seriously, Han and Leia pull the old we're just regular folks and they walk right through customs. Yeah. They head right to their secret rented apartment, where just outside the door, Leia feels lingering nervous energy in the force. They open the door, ready to spring the trap and kill anything. But psych! 
It's a note it's pushed a note. under the door. Warning them, Sal Solo has put a bounty on Han. Signed, Gedgen. I mean, yeah, makes sense, yeah. right? Like, it's legal. Is bounty hunting not legal? Uh, It's kind of a fringe thing, I think. I think it's... It's nobody here. Here's how it works. Here's why it's probably legal because he's been declared a traitor and enemy of the state yeah. for his actions against Karelia in the war. Yeah. So that's probably why you can put a bounty on him and his whole family because Thrak and Sal Solo is labeling them all in the media as traitors. Yeah. So I guess I, that answers that question. I don't think Sal Solo would put out the contract himself. He would probably go through intermediaries and stuff like that. Definitely, so, yeah. But I think bounty hunting on a whole is kind of like, no, it's not necessarily legal, but if people do it, they know better than to mess with the bounty hunter because they're I just going to end up screwed. I guess. I don't know. I don't know the uh, the ins and outs of the legality of bounty hunting in the Star Wars universe, but I will promise I will not look into it for you guys. <laughs> I'll look into it for myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. Leia thinks she knows the name Gedgen. And Han is positive Boba Fett will be the bounty hunter. Cut to Coruscant, the Skywalker apartment. Luke, having nightmares. Imagine that. Again. Now, he's chasing the hooded man, trying to reveal his face, but failing every time. He reaches out and grabs the... Because he's chasing after the guy with the cloak. He gra- actually grabs the cloak, and it's so concrete, these forced dreams, yeah. that he says it even feels like lightweight bantha wool. Right. Which, as soon as he grabs, the dream disappears, and he wakes up, and he f- he's all like... He's rattled because yeah. he failed. Yeah. But now that he's awake, he might as well check his messages. Yeah, why not? Turns out, C-3PO has been texting Luke Skywalker nonstop. He's at <laughs> home. He's stuck at home at the, at the Solo's apartment. And he is bored. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I just want to say that again, okay? Luke Skywalker is getting annoying texts from C-3PO. Yeah. What a world. What a beautiful world to live in. But forget 3PO, man. Luke Skywalker is worried about Jason. Yeah. His discomfort over Jason was definite in some ways. The lengths his nephew... Seemed prepared to go. The ways he used the force. But vague in another way. A far deeper and more troubling one. He feared for Jason. Luke's got some serious concerns about his son's teacher. Yeah. I mean, to be putting your child, your powerful child, okay, in in that person's hands when you have this many reservations is... uh, you're playing a dangerous game, man. Unless this is these are new reservations just within the last like month or so. That's true. It, we're only two weeks in here. Yeah. So maybe, you know, over the two weeks, things have been getting darker in Luke Skywalker's mind. And uh, perhaps that's, part of that's got to do with the fact that the man hasn't been sleeping well. He's been having nightmares every night. That's got to change your perspective on things too, right? Mara pops in with a different perspective. She says, I think Jason is in love. And it's tearing him up inside. Well, you might not know this Marjade Skywalker, but he does have a secret girlfriend that he revealed at the other book. We don't know <laughs> what her name is, though, but ooh. 
Anyways, she's on to something, but I think it's the wrong thing. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous, actually. I think it's going to put them off the scent of the true problem, and it's going to give them kind of a false sense of security when they resolve this girlfriend thing. Yeah. And that's... I don't remember that specifically, but that's what I'm reading into it. Yeah. Just the way that she pops into into Luke Skywalker's thoughts and interrupts his his concern with like a a problem that could be solved easily. Yeah, and that having, seems like a red herring, right? Yeah. And I having the secret girlfriend just based on a reader's point of view and knowing what I know about the Star Wars movies and and that universe, not a good thing. Anakin had a secret girlfriend. Yeah, you know what? Uh, later in the chapters, we're going to see a real parallel there. But for now, we get something that I don't like at all. Luke and Mara have a fight. They have an argument. They have a fight. Yeah. He says, I want a new mentor for Ben. They have a fight over Jason teaching their son. This is pretty major. Like, they have a... Not they don't have a major fight, but what Luke Skywalker saying that he wants a new teacher for Ben is freaking major. Yeah, that's huge. But she thinks, like you were saying earlier, Jason has helped Ben learn to love the Force, and he's connecting with his family again for the first time. Yeah, a hotly contested and very divisive man. This Jason Solo. Luke decides to meditate on the hooded man vision. Instead of arguing with his wife. Good choice. Probably a good choice, man. Yeah. I mean... You're she not, was an you're assassin. Not, you're, <laughs> and a spy. I don't know if you know and that. And a spy. <laughs> but also, you're not going to answer this question right now. No. You're just going to fight it about it. So, you both are clear about what you want. Mm-hmm. Go sit down and think about it yeah. now. <laughs> you go think about what you've done. He says the worst part is the familiar feeling. The feeling of the hooded man in the dream. Yeah. It feels familiar. He says, I felt something like this before, but I can't pin it down. Not important. Moving on. Cut to <laughs> Jason's apartment. Also on Coruscant. This is where Karen Travis starts dropping all the bombs. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Jason's girlfriend is Tenel Ka. That's how yeah. I pronounce it. Is that how you pronounce That's it? A, yeah. What do you think about that name? Uh, exactly. Okay. Uh, I don't really love it. No. It, I don't like Tenel. No. I, maybe I'm not saying it right. Okay. Let's try to figure out a way that we can say it, that we like it. Tenel? 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 No, I don't think. Tenel. I like Tenel. 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 You make those consonants short. Tenel. Yeah. Tenel. Ka. It's a little better. Okay. The Tenel part's better, but I don't like the difference of emphasis on the last name. No. I like Tenel Ka better than Tenel Ka. Yeah. Right? Anyways, Eh. that's his girlfriend's name. Moving on. Turns out they have a four-year-old daughter that Jason visits sometimes. Tenel Ka is Hapen royalty. Yeah. The Hapens being a race of people in space. They have their own... Royalty. She is the queen. Yeah. They have a four-year-old daughter. Jason has a princess daughter and yeah. a princess mother. And he is no king 
no. or prince or royalty at all. No. Tell me how many times you think in the history of literature or reality that has ever happened. A man's mother is a princess, never a queen. A man is not a king or a prince. The yeah. man, his daughter is a princess, just like his mother was. Whoa. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's just like, that's just weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not important. Just uh, anyways. Anyways. Think on it. Anyways. I just, I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. They have a four-year-old daughter. Yeah, the for the daughter. How do you say her name? Because I say it Alana. I always say Alana. Okay. Also, because the other only other way to say it would be Alana. Yeah. Mm. No. I don't like it. I don't mm. like hard vowels. Often. Yeah. I like. Okay. I like my vowels soft. Okay. Yeah. Just like <laughs> I like. Anyways. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Four-year-old daughter Alana. Yeah. Boom. She's dropped all the bombs. And maybe Mara was right after all. Maybe. And the last the last time that Jason saw her was three and a half, four years ago. Because he last time we saw her, she was a baby. Yep. That's what he says. Now she's walking and talking. It's... it's he says, like... It's crazy. Yeah, and... He had all sorts of he's got all sorts of questions like how tall was she? Um, does she mm-hmm. know about her force powers? Yeah. And then he's got an inner monologue thing saying he's not there for her. he I'm not seeing her grow up. Yeah. I, he doesn't even have a picture of her. So it's crazy. I think this is him denying pain. Like, yeah. I think this is one of the rare spaces in Jason Solo's brain where he isn't ones and zeros logic gives you the actual answer. This is the one part of his life in his brain where he bends the rules, man. Yeah. This is the, like, I think this is his, this is obviously the way that it's being laid out. This is like an ultimate weakness. Oh yeah. A massive, massive, like what he would consider to be a weakness to be protected. Yep. Big time. So what does he do? He reaches out to Tenelka in the force across some unknown distance. Oh, this boy's strong. Yeah. He just reaches out to her through the force. She touches back and he lets go quickly because he's paranoid that Lumaya will discover his secret family. Really not sure he can trust her. And he still wonders if maybe he's being manipulated. But... But the part about the Sith way being a force for order and peace if you selflessly, it's true. I feel it. I know it. And I wish I didn't. But is it me? See, he's he doesn't he believes that the Sith way for force and order is the right way. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily The Sith way being the dispassionate application of logic. Yeah. That's his, I think, internalization of that. Like, yeah. No emotions, only right and wrong choices. Yeah. And, and not, you have to do what's right. You can't let your emotions make you waver. You have to do the right thing for as many people as possible. Yeah. The right thing all the time, every time, no matter 
Yeah. And the right thing for the collective whole, not necessarily for your your close people or whatever. Basically, cut them off. Exactly. But he that way he believes is the true and right way to to have order. Yeah. But not necessarily is Lumaya's way of going about it right. the right way. Exactly. He's he's just not 100% sold on her, which I think is the right That's a good choice. way to be with good. a Sith who says come and be taught. You know? Yeah, good life choice. But he really wants to have a chat with Papa Vader. He thinks he had a secret love too, right? Didn't he, Tim? Just like you said. Yeah. Where was all this self-doubt layered inner monologue in the last book? Karen is killing it with character depth right now like yeah she is giving all of the characters complications to their motivations i mean i'm sure it's all decided amongst the three of them but the way that she's writing it she's really pulling it through here jason heads out to accidentally on purpose run into admiral niathal <laughs> accidentally on purpose somehow and i was confused about this part he says he left a force impression on her the other day, making her want to talk to him. So like he reached into her mind and gave her a feeling in the back of her head that she's going to want to talk to him the next time she yeah, sees yeah, him. Yeah, she needs to talk to him for some reason. And then he thinks, hmm, am I scheming? No. no. Uh, yeah, bud. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, you're a bad guy. Zangief, bad guy. <laughs> Wreck, little Wreck-It Ralph for, for yeah. fan, fans out there. It's, right. it's, it's crazy. Nyathal wants to chat about Centerpoint. And Jason says they only set them back six months. See, that it that's seemed, it? It seemed like way bigger it deal. It seemed like it was going to be a lot more permanent. Like, like years minimum. This literally feels like going from The Force Awakens, where Snoke is a big deal. To the last Jedi, where the new director just goes, "I'm gonna cut that guy in half. I don't, I don't like that guy." <laughs> yeah, that's true. What? Like what? <laughs> Six months. That's it. Was it worth it? Um, I think, I don't know. I think because six months. I is... think no, because this has escalated everything beyond the point of stopping. That's true. Was... Had they not gone in there and touched their toys, they wouldn't be as mad. It would still be just about arming themselves with missiles that are supposed to be going to other people. Yeah, and they might have been more willing to... But now it's about, you came into my house and you broke my fucking toy, bro. Yeah. If... You're not coming over anymore. This is war. <laughs> Without doing that, they might have been more <laughs> apt to make... Air finger, air quotes again, <laughs> right? Right. Make the decision themselves to shut down Saturn Point. Even though, like, diplomacy. But that's diplomacy. the thing. When you are an empire, when you are a dictator, you take those decisions out of the people's hands. Yeah. You force those decisions on them. And this is what we're seeing happen. And it's gross. Yeah, they're treating, the GA is teaching, is treating Corellia like a bratty child. Yeah, which was definitely what they, they said that in the first book, right? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Good callback to him. Jason starts talking to her. Admiral Nithal about, yes. about his uh, shipyard boom boom plan. Like we said, like he said earlier, I want to blow up all the shipyards that they have so they can't attack us or make more ships. When suddenly, da na na, da na na, Jason's danger sense goes off. Danger sense. Danger sense. He covers the taxi in a force shield, 
as a massive explosion triggers in the sky traffic, blowing nearby buildings apart. Terrorism had returned to Coruscant. He he even wonders if Lumaya set up this explosion too. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? He is deep in the suspicion paranoia of Lumaya already. Because he is so worried about doing the wrong thing. That he's doing the wrong thing. Yeah. But meanwhile, he's blind to the fact that he's like implanting thoughts in Admiral's minds, wiping Apprentice's memories, murdering other Jedi. Yep. Buddy. And, and even right after this explosion. Oh, I want to love him still. It, right after this explosion, he reaches out to feel the collective whole, right? And then it, he abandons his self-control mm-hmm. and savors in outrage. He decides to let himself be angry. Yeah. And I wonder this. When he's doing that, is he like channeling the dark side of the force? Because I want to know if that has something to do with his next comment. Well, it, for that, it says, for a moment and dared to savor his own outrage and his pity for the inevitable victims. Would that be his victims? Well, I don't know. I think he just means of war, of the of the inevitable war now that this bomb has gone off. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's very true, too. That's definitely happening. Sorry, I just, I'm it, seeing Jason do, making all these bad things. I just well, assume he's that, a bad guy. Yeah, well, I mean, you right. know, uh, he's on the path. He's on the path. He's definitely on his way. As he's feeling this dark side and all the anger and all that stuff, I wanted I wanted to think about if if that has anything to do with this next this other thought that he has here. He says events had been unleashed that would have a life of their own. He was needed more than ever. He could avert total anarchy, and that was a dangerous thought. But he thought it anyway. Somebody had to. The man is developing, or has had for a long time, a bit of a god complex. Yep. He's going to do it. As we've said before, would you not feel justified if you are the Jedi? Yeah. I mean, look at this guy. Look at everything he does. His freaking gold money boom boom, baby. Yeah, everything everything he does seems to be... Seems to have not, not just implications on everything, but... Good yeah. results. Universe-wide positive ripples. Yeah, and so after his whole life doing that, why would he not be like, well, I can do it. Yeah. Somebody has to. Why not me? I, I do make good things happen. Yep. Chapter three, we get another insert excerpt. Aliyat Orishaya Talden. Family is more than bloodline. A Mandalorian proverb. I wish Kevin was here to read that. But nonetheless, yeah, I did my best. Family is more than bloodline. I like that. I like it. We'll see how it ties in to the book called Bloodlines. But chapter three, Skywalker's apartment on Coruscant. Mara spills her calf, a.k.a. space coffee. Jason just disappeared from the force, she says. Although apparently he's done this before from time to time. They're yeah. not entirely concerned. And they say he's done it before. Luke can feel a growing disturbance like storm clouds. These Skywalker boys and their storm cloud feelings, boy. Yeah. Ben was saying exactly the same thing. It felt like a giant storm was coming. They sure are a couple of little stormy Skywalkers. 
they see the bombing on the news. HNE News. Is that supposed to be like CNN? Yeah. I think so. Hollow Network. I think it's like the parody analog, right? Yeah. Even Luke and Mara find themselves jumping to the conclusion that the bombing was by Carillions. Perception usually overrides facts. AKA space fake news. Yep. Yep. People aren't going to care who actually did it. They're going to believe whatever they want and things are going to get out of hand. So Luke and Mara say that we better head off to the Senate building. We better find chief of state Omas and we better start figuring out what we're going to do about this massive emergency. They get there and Luke asks Omas, what if it was Karelia? What do we do then? Yeah. Just then. Jason comes into the room, unable to be felt in the force, and surprises everyone. Luke does not like being surprised by Jason. No. Or he he calls it showing off. Yeah, he's showing off. Well, he can hide himself so completely that... Luke Skywalker can't feel him coming. His his aunt and uncle who have known him his whole life, who are Jedi Masters, can't feel him. And then all of a sudden... Excuse me. Luke is the grandmaster. That's true. Carry, Sorry. They're, they're, all right. <laughs> and then right after that, he's like, oh, he turns on, he stops hiding in the force and magnifies his own power. Yeah. He like, instead of flipping on, on the dude. light, he flips on a spotlight. Yeah. And then turns it back down to normal. Yeah. Look what I can do. He is flexing. He's flexing on his uncle, man. The two yeah. of them have not been agreeing. They say there's 20 million Karelians on Coruscant. A lot of potential boiling points and victims and perpetrators. Luke and Jason start boiling over into an argument almost immediately. Yep. They look like us, one of them says. They are like us, the other one says. Guys, you know you're on the same team. You're just looking. You're fighting about something else because you need to have a different fight. They, They need to stop avoiding the fight that they need to have a long time ago. And, yeah. And get the real fight done with. So you're yeah. not fighting about freaking syntax and context. Maybe have Ben in the room a little bit. He says things how they are. Well, somehow Cal Omas is the one who calms them down. Takes them into another room to discuss this, and I quote, snake bite that could poison the whole planet, according to Luke Skywalker. I thought yeah. that was just a kind of cool way to put it. I, I yeah. It, it's like it's a, like a minor wound that could infect the whole thing. That, that can end up causing a lot of damage. Some nice, some nice writing. I liked it. Cut to Upper City, Taurus. Boba Fett disembarking Slave One. Oh, mind you, this doesn't say 10 years after the Yuuzhan Vong War. So I think now we're in Boba Fett real time. Yeah. Boba Fett disembarking the Slave One has an accurate reflection that most galactic wars were Jedi versus Sith. It, yeah. He's not wrong. Not wrong at all. But here's a question. Maybe is it because that kind of power, like uh, the force, is is such a massive power that it it just creates conflict in the sense that it even exists? You know what I mean? Where like it's such a big, powerful thing that people are going to disagree about what to do with it and their conflict right away. Like there's no way... There's no way around a war being about anything except for opposite sides of the force. Yeah. Because those people are so powerful, they control everything all the time. Yeah. And if if you're looking at the Jedi and Sith views, 
it like this permeates everything that's living so eventually at one point you're gonna fall on one side or the other and they just happen to be kind of like the leaders yeah or you're gonna get shot to death on the fence in the crossfire yeah so pick a side and join the empire (laughs) like i don't know you know that's the kind of thing he even says the fed even says the vong war was refreshing yeah in that for in that light because you know the vong aren't jedi they're not sith we'll get there yeah (laughs) we'll get there Things never change, do they? Not in the Star Wars universe, bro. You guys go through cycles like somebody's writing this shit. Boba Fett is having a meeting at a hotel bar with Goran Bavine. That's how I'm. That's how I'm going. It. He's got double eyes. Double eye. Bavine. Bavine. What do you think of that name, Goran Bavine? I. I it's all right. I'm okay with that. Six. Yeah. Six out of ten. Yeah. yeah. I give it a seven out of fifteen. <laughs> give it a. Uh, Give it a uh, four stars out of six moons. Four stars out of six moons, so not even rated in the same category. You guys, you guys do the exchange for rate yourselves. Yep. He's wearing deep blue, battle-scarred Mandalorian armor. And between him and Boba Fett, they must stick out like a freaking <laughs> sore thumb, man. Yeah. <laughs> Full battle armor. Boba Fett's got his helmet on, which he gets looks at. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's against the rules in this bar. Yeah. He's sitting there, Goran Bavine, eating fried crab because it reminds him of frying Yuzhan Vong. Even the Mando tribes must have played a, a part in defeating the Yuzhan Vong. Like, this was galaxy-wide. There was no team other than Team Our Galaxy. Yeah, literally Team Us versus them in a good way, though. Yeah, well, in a, in a most understandable way. Yeah. It's... I wonder, if, I wonder if we'll talk about that more as we go on, but I wonder what part the Mandalorians played in the Yuzhan Vong War specifically. Because it seems to be brought up a couple times throughout these chapters. Turns out, Thraken offered Goran Bavine a bounty contract for the entire Solo family. Not yeah. just Han Solo. Not, not just Han. They want to kill him. They want to kill his wife. They want to kill their son they want to kill their daughter if their other son was alive he'd be on the list too i'll probably end up wiping droid memory and taking them too probably wipe them and and keep them like a like a taxidermy like <laughs> yeah. a trophy Ugh, yeah that'd be gross boba wonders to himself why didn't thraken ask me maybe he thinks you'd be bored with it and too expensive right on both counts yeah han solo was irrelevant now Truly irrelevant. Fett had never had a feud with him anyway, just a string of contracts, and contracts were never personal. Yeah, that's what I like about Boba Fett. He's a professional. He's a practical man. He is a professional. He's a professional. You know what? That's the kind of strict rule set that you stick to when you have that kind of trauma in your childhood. Yeah. (laughs) Rigid, strict, very, very clear-cut rules that he lives by. Yeah. Because his childhood was a effing disaster. Like everybody in these books. <laughs> and his his rules are pay me and I'll get it done. There's not a lot of rules in his life. And the price is usually pretty high. Yeah. Goran says, oh, wait a minute. You thought I took the contract. Psych! Your mm. daughter, Aelin, took it. Yeah, she's alive. Surprise. And we get some more deep boba motions. It beats her taking a contract on me. His stomach chilled. <laughs> No, you don't mean that at all. 
You mean that she's your daughter, however much she hates you, however much she blames you for her mother's death, and you're dying, and you want to see her one last time. She's all you'll leave behind to prove that you ever existed. What the fuck, man? I almost <laughs> cried just reading that yeah. right now. Oh, Karen Travis, you're awesome. Yeah. The, the depth of emotion that you get from just everybody in these inner monologues, man. I love this author tool whatever I'm, I'm sure it has a name yeah i'm, I'm sure, sure it's got a name i don't know i'm not i'm not educated but ooh, i sure love it man it gives you us it gives you that peek behind the curtain into how people are actually feeling versus the way that they're acting outwardly it gives you two dimensions of a character to compare and contrast against each other yeah it's not even like one plus one makes two it's like something completely different yeah yeah but how can we be sure it's really her? Boba thinks to himself. Well, Gorin tells him she's the right age. She's got the right tattoo. And she's got the right ship. Okay, sold. Wait a minute. How did she get that ship? You may be wondering. What is this famous ship that she's so easily recognized in? Well, she killed Boba Fett and stole it. But, psych, it was a clone of Boba Fett, of course. My God, Star Wars, settle it down with the clones. You're like, you're like, it's like, it's like too many dudes in a band wearing a fedora. <laughs> it's cool if you do it once. Yeah. If there's too much of it, it's not cool anymore. Don't overdo it. A clone of a clone. Yeah. I don't think that clone of a clone was last, was going to last long in the world anyways. But. Yeah, probably not. But how about that? If you're Boba Fett, <laughs> yeah, make some clones, rack some extra contracts. Yeah, you work for me. Yeah, I'm you. You work for me. Yeah, exactly. Come on, same team. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, she must really hate her dad. Yikes! I wonder what he did to get her mother killed. That's what he said there. Right? Yeah. I wonder. I wonder so what happened. His ex-wife. But I guarantee you, he's gonna. Think it in an inner monologue to us at some point. Yeah, and we're going to find out about it. That's what I'm hoping for anyway. Goran also tells him, Kosai, one of those Kaminoans that's been missing, uh, was chopped to bits and mailed back home. Yep. Okay, again. Yikes. My perception here, and I, I don't mind if I pat myself on the back for being a detective here, Ton Wee must have opened the mail that day and bailed. Yes. <laughs> That's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Oh, that's my cut up friend. Well, I better leave. Yeah. I better go into hiding, or you know, that's probably bad news. This Goran guy though answers all both. He questions. seems well informed. He's got, he's got he's got every answer that this guy ever wanted, man. And you know what? It's it's exactly what he expects because he is the Mandalore. That means he is the leader of the Mandalorians, not by race, but by anybody who chooses to call themselves Mandalorian. And from time to time, he was reminded that he was also the Mandalore. He had a responsibility to a hundred warriors, and this was the aspect that gave him the problem. A nation that wasn't only geographic, but a nomadic culture too. Except that it had a homeworld, and a sector, and no, it wasn't clear at all. He wasn't sure what being Mandalore meant anymore. 
and he wondered if he thought of himself as Mandalorian first and Bounty Hunter second. He didn't. Nope. Mandalorian is a very complicated concept in Star Wars. It's not a genetic thing. It's more like a life choice. It's like a, it's like, it's a culture thing. Yeah. There is a planet called Mandalore. Yep. There is an entire sector of space called Mandalorian space. There are native races to that planet who would be Mandalorian. True Despite Mandalorian. their choices. Yeah. And then there's also the fact that most of them don't live there and they are nomads spread across the galaxy. How do you rule that? This guy's like the king of the anthills, man. Yeah. Well, and cause it, all those things like he, Boba Fett, not from anywhere near Mandalore, but he is the leader of it. Right. Like he's, he's a clone that was created, born, whatever you want to call it on Camino. Yeah. Of, of all things. I like I like um, uh, Bavin there. He talks to uh, he treats Fat like a superior because he is. Yeah. But is also like he has, he's a little like condescending. The, the bare like, minimum amount of yeah. respect, not over the top respect. Like, yeah. Like for not it. stepping up yeah. and being a true Mandalore for the culture. He's he he stands up to Boba Fett about not doing a good enough job. How about, yeah. How about that? Like that's who yeah. this guy is, man. Balls. Yeah. He's got him. But he leaves, and Fett starts thinking about the Mandalore, the planet, and being the Mandalore, the leader, and all the Mandalorian people. And what is home? Camino, Mandalore. And I think this is where it, it kind of became clear to me what a big theme of this book is going to be home. Yeah. What is home? What was home? How does home change? What kind of things change home? Yeah, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a big thing that comes up over and over again in this book. Home is where the heart is. That's what I say. <laughs> Do you? You made that up yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, came right to you. Yeah. <laughs> but Boba Fett is en route to his apartment. He leaves the hotel bar. He money trails a lead out of the stock exchange. He says this company had a big buy recently. Must be buying the Camino technology. Must be having some kind of insider trading knowledge. Mm-hmm. This is not how I want my Boba Fett. Okay, listen. I've been very positive in my review of Karen Travis's writing so far. Don't make Boba Fett an accountant. Don't, 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 don't do it. He even goes so far as to brag that he's a better accountant than his accountant. I yeah. don't want Boba Fett to be an accountant. Well, no, I think he's bragging about it. Uh, because he's clever enough to not yeah. get swindled because yeah. he hires a guy that's and, him. and he's the kind of guy that wants to be the best at everything. I know, like all of the men. Yes. But I don't want him to be the best accountant. I don't care. It, don't. Not even if he's the best accountant you know what? mixed he, in? He can be it, but I don't want him to brag about uh, it. Don't talk about it. How about that? Brag about the other things that you're making yeah. at. Leave your accounting at home. Stay. Keep it in the books, bro. But somebody, he realizes, is trailing him. Yep. This person, she stops him, asks his name, and shows him a necklace. I like his helmet at this part, though, before this girl catches up with him. Yeah? What's it look like? Hey, well, it's how 
he's walking and he can see behind him using it. I right. like that he's yeah. got that in his heads he's up display. He's got backup backup camera technology yeah. in his SUV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I actually like that a lot too. But think about like, wouldn't that be you? God to get used to it. Yeah, that would be, be so disorienting. Where you're like, I'm walking forward and I'm looking behind me. I'm yeah. gonna either puke or smash into something. Well, it's gotta be like it's like a rearview mirror or something, right? In your car, where he can just like glance up into it in the corner Ooh. of his heads up display. Wow. You nailed it. I think that's, that's the technology I want right there. You're yeah. right. He's got a HUD in his helmet, and yeah. he's got a rear view mirror on it. And if he looks at it long enough, it goes full screen or something. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever kind of blinky technology you want to work in there. Yep. But this necklace, of course, being held out to him by the stranger, is not just any necklace. Nope. In fact, it is the very same necklace he gave to his wife. 55 years ago when he was 16. Dun, dun, dun. And she says, I got it from the man who killed your wife. Dun, dun, dun. And I know exactly where your daughter is. Dun, dun, freaking dun. Everybody <laughs> walks into this chapter and just solves all of his problems. Yep. yep. I know what her name is. I figured it out. Deus Ex Machina. That's her name. Oh, okay. That's what her name is. Guaranteed. She literally... Walks in here, breaks all those mysteries open, except hands him a bunch of mysteries at the same time. Cut to cards, tap, calf, coronet, Corellia. Han, out of space bucks, having a coffee when he hears bomb and Corellian on the news and everyone falls silent. He wonders if this could be like a black ops type mission by Coruscant. A false flag, as they call it. I'm not. Uh, that's something. That's something that we've seen in human history, in reality, uh, a lot over the course of history. I'm not going to go into it. No. Feel free. Feel free to go on Google and just look up false flag attacks or missions and uh, have a fun down that conspiracy wormhole. Anyways, turns out Han's at Space Bucks because Leia has set up a meeting with Gedgen. Der Gedgen. What do we think about that name? Dergedgen. <laughs> I kind of like it a lot. If you say it quick like that. He's a minor like character, so I like it a lot yeah. because I'm not going to have to read it forever and ever, amen, every other paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I like Der it if Gedgen. you say it fast. If you yeah. say Dergedgen. If you I say like Dergedgen, it's weird. It's a little weird. If you go Dergedgen, like if there was a, an apostrophe in between his first and yeah. last name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. These are the kind of brain hacks that I do when I'm reading stuff. Kind of reminds so me of Turducken. Like That's why I like it. Whoa. <laughs> wow. It's the Dergedgen. Dergedgen, the Turducken of <laughs> political espionage. He wants Thraken out. He and the others in the government want Han in. And Han goes, no? What? <laughs> no? I read that and, and I laugh. <laughs> me too, man. I laugh. It was perfect. It was good. It was so great. He 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 nopes. He nopes. He nopes. 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 And Dergedgen just leaves. So, all right. Well, meeting's over then. Han is still convinced Boba Fett's going to be the one to take the contract, but Leia says, "Why? He saved us from the Vong, huh? What? 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 What happened? <laughs> what happened?" Nobody's telling us what happened. <laughs> no way. But Han has a thought. He had a thought, and it was one that almost made him recoil. I'm going to kill the scumbag this time. 
Nobody touches my family. That makes two solos. Absolutely guaranteed hellbent on murdering Thraken, Sal Solo. Jason first, now his father. And I can't blame either one of them. Jason had a vision that said if this guy doesn't die, billions of people will die in a massive war. And Han's just mad because he's trying to kill his whole family. Again, reasonable. They're about to leave Space Bucks when they hear one last bit of bad news on the Space News. Yep. President Sal Solo has declared Han Solo and his family to be enemies of Corellia. The whole family. Sorry, I guess I spoiled that one earlier. Time to go. Chapter 4. We get another insert slash excerpt. Vandals have desecrated the Corellian Sanctuary on Coruscant. The domed building, a resting place for Corellian dead, was daubed with paint during the night, and marble plaques were smashed. Inside, diamonds set in the dome, formed from the compressed carbon of cremated Corellians, were hacked out of the ceiling. Police are treating the attack as retaliation for yesterday's bombing of the Elite Hotel on Skylane 4467, which left 634 dead and hundreds more injured. Nobody has yet claimed responsibility for the explosion, confirmed as caused by commercial-grade detonite. HNE Morning News. Mm. So again, this isn't a look into characters behind the curtain. This is a look at the news. This is a look at what is being fed into the public perception in the middle of this tipping point where the war is like about to blow up. Yeah. Yeah, people retaliating for something that no one has any proof of. Perception. Perception. Yeah. It it overrules the facts. Nobody actually knows who blew up the skyline. Us becomes them very quickly, as Leia and Admiral Limpin said in the last book. Yeah. But chapter four actually starts on Upper City Taurus. The girl's real name, maybe not Deus Ex Machina, her name is Myrta Gev. Holding this necklace to Boba, and she seems to know all about Boba and his family. Even tells him, yeah, your daughter still knows you're alive. Boba Fett, though, has no regrets. You left Sintis, I'm guessing his wife's name, and your baby, and you never looked back. Is that how dad treated you? No, he was always there for you. So what kind of man abandons his own kid? Boba Fett is rightfully harsh on himself yes. about his decisions, man. As He's going to die. He thinks he's going to die anytime. I don't know if he believes it, but he's been told it. He's 71. He's reflecting on abandoning his child when he was however many years old. 50 years ago. So 16. Yeah. Whatever. 21. So they must have had... He says he hasn't seen. Oh, he says he hasn't seen her over fifty years. So, they must have had a year, a couple, a little, a little time together where everything was yeah, okay. Yeah, a little bit. I wondered what happened. He decides the stranger in front of me with this necklace telling me everything I need to know about my family, who's definitely not some kind of snake oil fortune teller, is going to come along with him. She's wearing Mandalorian armor. She must be a good person. He lets her in his ship. She lets her. He lets her in his ship. Well, yeah, it's easier to keep an eye on her. That's what he says. Yeah. You're right. He does say that. He says, if the girl turned out to be trouble, he could always shoot her. (laughs) That's the Boba Fett I want. Yeah. Not bragging about accounting. Cut to the Senate building on Coruscant. Jason, Luke, and Mar are talking with Omos and security intel head. Givli Gasil. What do you think about that name? Speaking of apostrophes. Yeah, no kidding. Givli 
Gazil. Wow. Wow. It is what it is. He's an alien. Uh, That's fine. It is what it is. Maybe the G is silent. (laughs) Maybe it's just Vlee Sil. Maybe it makes an even weirder noise. Like a... Who knows? I'm not an alien. I don't speak alien. No. But much like Durgejin wanted Turducken Han Solo to be the new Minister of War, Prime Minister of Karelia... Uh, Omas and the security team, they want Mara to head up a secret police force for smashing terrorism before the roots grow deep. Yeah. Dom- domestic. The, the, what, is it, what do they call it? The domestic security force or something like that? Yeah. Well, we'll get to what they actually end up be call- being called. But Jason seems to have a better source on the status of the anarchy. If they aren't already, the world brain tells me they're on the move gathering meeting so like jason still has a connection to the world brain the yuzhan vong alien monster thing that lives in the heart of coruscant i don't yeah man i read most of those books i don't i can't understand yeah basically i thought it was dead but apparently it's not dead the living thing that is in charge of terraforming planets basically jason can talk through it through the force either way Nobody else knows this because he never shares his information. Nope. Omas and Gasil talk about how people will have to get used to giving up their rights. But Jason is thinking about if he can trust Lumaya. He's not worried about how the common people are going to be affected by this attack. Nope. I'm more worried about whether or not the Sith is going to cut my head off when I turn my back on her. So-called Sith. Yeah. He can feel her on Bemil. She feels relieved and sincere. But he thinks she could be force faking her emotions... He's like, I do that to other Jedi Masters all the time. Not that I'm proud of it, but he kind of is. Humble brag. He heads the Jedi Temple, in fact, on Coruscant. It's been restored since the Yuzhan Vong War. Exactly, perfectly restored. Jason thinks, it occurs to him for the first time, maybe this is like obsessive and not reverent. Maybe this isn't a celebration of our history. Yeah. And it's a creepy clinging and resistance he says the jedi never want change and challenge to interrupt its sense of permanence yeah it's like the unbreaking we will always be here it's like the unbending oak breaking in the wind yeah versus the willow tree surviving through change yeah and he's he's he sees it as as ambition and a love of power and status yeah the whole and place says, he's not liking that. The whole place he says feels like a desperate hold grasp at power. Yeah. And he's thinking and walking through the temple, he realizes something. Jason knew exactly where he was now, and it scared him. Yeah. He had a finely tuned sense of where he was in space. Had he rolled back time by fifty nine years to this exact distance from the planet's core. This exact distance from the planet's north pole. This very point in three dimensions, he would have been walking with his grandfather, Anakin Skywalker. But I can walk back in time. This is one of the things that Luke was talking about him using frivolously, and he was upset. When he yeah. was having this fight with Mara, it was one of the daggers that he, or one of the cards that he pulled out where he's like, 
remember he did this remember he went flow walking into the past that's not cool that's not yeah. safe well he do it he gonna do it he's gonna go back I, it's really cool it's like, amazing whether it's the right thing to do or not yeah super cool wish i could do it as soon as he gets there he feels anakin's dread and reluctance and his desperate terrified loss yep tears behind his eyes lump in his throat man anakin skywalker it reminds him in fact jason of leaving behind tenel ka and his daughter but he says to himself this is different that's not what's driving me yeah the last thing he feels before coming back to the present is anakin's absolute grief shame and duty i think these words are important that's why i'm pointing them out Mm -hmm. more resolved than ever after that peak in the past jason feels set on his path and knows that he has to test lumaya's intentions he reaches out through the force and he commands her to come to coruscant after this flow walk thing it really uh, he goes through all this thing about being uncertain because he some of these things he's feeling too and then right at the end of it he's like no he's older and more experienced than anakin would have been he could handle what was happening do you remember that that's exactly what lumaya told him yeah you're a grown-ass man already yeah you'll be fine so he obviously (sighs) believes that yeah cut to the carillion sanctuary on coruscant where we heard in the excerpt there had been some vandalism yep this is jason sent ben here to go feel out the emotions of the common man the people that he's not connected to surrounding the bombing and the retaliatory attack on the Carillion sanctuary here. A place for Carillions to be laid to rest on Coruscant. They say, if they can't get back home, this is where they bury them. Yep. The place has been trashed and the cremated people diamonds were chipped out of the ceiling. There's a couple of guys there cleaning up a couple of older dudes and one younger man. Ben feels tension and anger in all of them, especially from a, the young Carillion. Barrett Sai, I don't know S A I Y Sai 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 Duck, I don't know. Yeah, Barrett Sai. That's a name. Moving on. Yep. This kid was born on Coruscant, but he's got Karelian blood. Ben asks him, "Are you gonna go back to Karelia and sign up and fight in the war?" And the guy says, "Straight up, no. We can fight them better here. The coming civil war." has finally reached home. And that's where we leave it this week. Next week, we're going to cover chapters 5 through 8 of Bloodlines, the second book, Legacy of the Force. For now, I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. That's all. Bye-bye. See you. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at jplazer. Check us out.